This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 184 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to one of my faves, JJ Arias. JJ obviously came and interviewed me for the release of A Game of Hearts and Highs. Thank you, JJ. Uh, And now I am turning the tables on her to talk all about creating conflict in romance. And I think a lot of the tips will be superb for you. Even if it's not romantic conflict, I think you're gonna get something from this because there is a lot of these uh, tips and craft tricks that can be applied to interpersonal conflict. So just conflict between two characters. Obviously you just remove the bonking aspect of it. (laughs) Uh, But first to last week's question, which was what's the best book you've read this year? Eden Collier said, well, apart (laughs) from, Well, apart from A Game of Hearts and Heist, which I consumed, by the way, uh, and anything Gail Carragher has written, I'd say The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley, which I'm currently reading and loving. Uh, In regards to vampire stuff, I'd recommend the first three series of Being Human, the UK version, and maybe bits of the later series. Uh, So I tried to read The Watchmaker of Filigree Street and thought it was beautiful, but I did DNF it purely because it's just not really my style. Might have been the historical aspect. (laughs) Um, But if you like historical kind of steampunk stuff, I uh, highly recommend it because it was sumptuously, deliciously written. Jen Randall said, uh, oh, I think I must have asked two questions in this episode because lots of vampire recommendations. So Jen Randall says, uh, Catherine Smith has a delicious vampire series. Excellent. Loving these vamp uh, recommendations. I uh, have been plotting my next series. I'm still... I'm definitely going to do the vampire series. I'm just having a look at some of the market data to see whether or not it's going to sell. Not that you can 100% predict anything, but I am kind of deciding whether or not uh, it should be the next one or not. Anyway, Heather Button said, I second anything by Gail Carragher. Not sapphic, but there are some definitely sexy sci-fi space vampire books out there. Sought by Evangeline Anderson pairs a male trank alien? not sure what that means, with a fated female who's afraid of needles. Interesting. Okay, Kerry Hardisky said, I'm currently reading slash listening to Raid by my friend C.E. Dorset. Uh, it's only available on their newsletter and in audio on their YouTube channel right now in serial format, but they are planning to release the book sometime later. Uh, it's book zero of their series, The Shadow Phoenix Saga, and it's so good. It's a fantasy adventure, incredible world building, diverse LGBTQIA plus characters, fantastical creatures. Uh, uh, C.E. is a non-binary author. Oh, they also have a couple chapters up uh, they only have a couple of chapters up so far but I'm loving it and then Ian Worrell said The Companions by R.A. Salvatore awesome okay so this morning (laughs) one of the things I did was write quite frankly an obscene to-do list it filled an entire page of A4 uh, in It was like my best schoolgirl handwriting. So it wasn't like it was a scrappy list. It's just a fucking long one. Uh, So my question to you this week is how do you structure your to-do list? Maybe you don't use them. Maybe you do. Maybe you use post-its. I kind of chop and change because apparently I like to... (laughs) 
fuck up my life and my systems by changing everything every so often. But anyway, let me know. Okay, the book recommendation of the week this week is Signal Moon by Kate Quinn. This is a short book. It's probably a novella, actually, I would say. Uh, I think the audio is maybe two hours, maybe less than two hours, I think. So it's quite a short one. Um, Maybe it's only an hour. I can't remember. I listen on two speeds, so it, like, fucks my ability to know how long these things actually are. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, Signal Moon by Kate Quinn. This is a dual timeline set in World War II and present day. And it is phenomenal. It's historical (laughs) and modern day. And it's about a woman who worked at Bletchley Park. Park? Park? No. Bletchley Park. And she basically intercepts a signal, uh, uh, a transmission from the future. And it is just extraordinary. Really beautifully written. The world building's incredible. Um, and I highly recommend it. it. It was a very short, sweet, beautiful read. Okay, so on to personal news and updates. First of all, my friend Karen Ferreira, who has been on the podcast ooh, quite a while ago now, talking about uh, children's book illustrations. I actually met Karen in uh, South Africa, which was cool, uh, when I went last summer. But anyway, Karen is doing a uh, boot camp. It's three days, six hours a day on building your mailing list. But she's, and that, so that is actually paid, but there is a webinar that's free and I do have an affiliate link for the webinar um, or maybe it's for the bootcamp I'm not sure anyway I have a link uh, to this webinar and the webinar is free and it's how to get your first email 100 email subscribers and beyond so um, if you would like to uh, get uh, information on you know why uh, building an email list is important um, if you want to understand like mistakes to avoid with your reader magnet what a reader magnet is how to create one um, all of that good like basic stuff around uh, reader magnets email lists then you will want to join this free webinar so I will put a link in the show notes to that probably ought to add <laughs> that the webinar is on Wednesday April the 19th at 1 p.m US Eastern time So yes, that's Wednesday the 19th of April at 1pm Eastern Time, US Eastern Time. And the boot camp is in May, but you'll get all the information about that. I was also lucky enough to be included in uh, T.B. Markinson and Miranda McLeod's uh, latest uh, anthology, which was the I Heart Sapphic Favourite Scenes from Favourite Authors anthology. 190 plus authors uh, selected a thousand word scene that they were most proud of and that went into the anthology. So if you like sapphic fiction then I will include a link to that in the show notes as well okay finally on to my stuff if you are going to be at the 20 books Seville uh, conference on in a couple of weeks time or you're going to be at the London book fair then please do let me know because I am going and my diary is starting to fill up so I would love to give you a high five (laughs) say hello catch up nerd out about uh, books so yeah please do let me know if you are going and in other news I finished editing the book so I started I don't know when I told you I started editing uh, because I can't remember when I did the podcast last but I have finished, it took me a week, 
a working week, one of which, yeah, no, a working week. So that's great news. It means I've uh, sort of written and edited the book in five weeks. I am super excited. I am, I have, I am just about to send the book to my critique partner. There's a couple of areas that I think still need some work, but uh, this is the point of editing, isn't it? So I am looking forward to a brainstorm with my critique partner once they've read the book. My wife is reading the book and she was like, this is just as good. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, I ended up giving her the half of the manuscript early because I was literally going fucking insane. I was driving myself beyond sanity. Um, and just I was convincing myself that I hadn't created a book that it was as that was as good as the first one which is total bullshit I absolutely have um but you know what it's like when you're in the throes of oh my god I can't write why we do this to ourselves I don't know but now I'm at the other end I'm all excited again because I like I didn't it's funny because I completely did not register the fact that now I'm at the edits, that means I get to do like marketing and talk about it and all of my favourite scenes. And oh my God, there is so many sexy times in this book. <laughs> I should probably just start writing erotica, to be honest with you, because like uh, there was a lot of schmexy times in the first book and this book is way more. <laughs> It's like, anyway, anyway, there's another point. You'll, you'll get to see. But I'm super excited. And it means that I get to reveal the cover soon. And I get to commission the cover of book three. And oh my goodness me, I'm just having so much fun. And I'm just about to start, uh, like, outlining for book three. And I'm super excited for that one as well. I'm just, like, I, if I could say excited one more time. <laughs> I'm just, it's bringing me joy, guys, okay? And, um... So yeah, and I love the moment that I get to turn off the creative brain and I get to then be marketing and like think about the book in a different way. And that's that's super fun. I, I'm obviously not quite there because I need to do the tweaks um, and, and fix just these two little bits that I would like to improve. But still, I am thoroughly, thoroughly pleased that I have created this book so quickly. It is... <sighs> It is giving me pause for thought because obviously I'm getting to the point where it's a book a month. Um, I don't particularly want to write a book a month. I, I want to retain the capacity for that speed, but I don't necessarily want to do it every single month because um, I do too many other things and I enjoy those other things, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> so um, until I uh, either don't do those things or I have some more time, I don't think that I can increase my pace anymore. So for example, I won't be writing now, um, probably until the last week of April, maybe May, because I uh, need to obviously do the edits. I need to do all the marketing, all the planning uh, for the launch and for the rest of the year. And then I'm in Seville and then I'm at the London Book Fair. So, you know, and I still need to outline the next book. So it's going to be, I would say, a month before I get to um, write again. But then hopefully the whole of uh, May, I will be, I will do another book. Fuck, sounds mental when I talk about it like that. The other thing that I have learned, I think that I have mentioned this, is that my activator is a big liar. And yeah, everybody drinks. I've mentioned strengths already. <laughs> We're not even in the fucking episode. Ugh. So I've been tracking. I'm really, really dedicated with my tracking because tracking 
my output be you know and you don't have to do words I think you know authors can do a time or whatever they want chapters done or, or whatever uh, tracking my words has been super super useful for me because that is what has enabled me to get to this point. For those of you who have followed this podcast for a while, you will know that it took me four motherfucking years to finish Trey, the third book or final book in, in well, the, not the final, but the third book in the, the first series that I wrote. And um, there were a plethora of reasons. But, but even prior to that, it would take me six months to get a fiction book done. I was not a fast writer. And going through the, this strengths learning and coaching and, and, and also having factual data on what my actual output is has been incredibly helpful for me to be able to production plan and to know exactly how long things are going to take me and obviously I need to put a bit of slippage time in my um my uh, calendar has slipped already this year it has changed but actually I've pulled it back um so I'm not too far off what I thought I was going to do and actually I've managed to slip to slip another book in I don't quite know how I've done that but anyway it's happened so um I don't really know why I'm telling you this I think I'm telling you this because um I don't want you to listen to me say oh it takes me a month and then feel disheartened because it's taken me 10 fucking years to get here literally I started writing with intent to publish in 2013 so um you know, and, and it's only in the last year after taking so much coaching that I have got to this point. But but the exciting thing is that I now can production plan and it's giving me so much joy to be able to set a deadline and then hit it. Like I actually hit the deadline. And this is like incredible and strange for me because the pandemic, I would say two years of the pandemic completely fucked me. And I didn't hit a single deadline and I completely lost faith in myself and that was really hard. So, so, oh, I know, I've got off on a tangent. <laughs> Come on, Sasha, you're not even talking about the fucking point you were supposed to be talking about. Um, Activator, what has been very helpful is to have the tracking data of words written per day and then um, words edited per day because I... Um, definitely thought that it had taken me a considerable amount more time to write and edit this book than it actually has. So um, that's good to just keep myself in check and um, stop convincing myself that it's taking me forever to write because it's not. Um, yeah, so basically I'm. it's just a little word of encouragement to track however you however works for you if you find that useful I find it ridiculously useful probably because number one competition and data I am feeling particularly excited for April because I do get <laughs> I say break you should see the state of my to-do list but I really like the flip-flop between the intensity of drafting and then for one month and then having a month where all I do is marketing and like that batching is really helpful for my brain it feels like I'm it's almost it's rest without rest <laughs> so basically what I'm saying is I'm working myself into the ground but like in a different way so it's okay god guys don't be me just don't be me okay <laughs> oh what am I like anyway I'm excited for this month because I get to do like lots of marketing 
achiever basically is like slapping her dick around and like you know smashing shit off to-do lists and uh also we get to travel you know i love traveling so yeah i'm excited for this month but then by the end of the month i will be gagging to get back to words I did decide to shift around the calendar. So I am going to be writing fiction next. And then this is so that I've got three in the series so that I have a bit more marketing flexibility. Um, And I think because it's now only taking a month, actually, I'm only really delaying nonfiction by a month. So I don't feel too bad about that. And then um, June and July are both dedicated to nonfiction. And hopefully I will get two projects complete in those two months. And then I have August off. Wow, what a treat. You're so generous to yourself, Sasha. (laughs) Oh, now we're talking to ourselves in the third person. Let's move on. Okie dokie. The rebel of the week this week is AJ. AJ says, I was a good student at school. Straight A's, never turned in my homework late, etc, etc. But I was also stressed because of that. I had a pretty short fuse. I'm not sure if you have this in the US, but in the, I'm not in the US, so, so I don't know. Uh, but in the UK, we have form rooms at school. Each school year is split up into smaller groups called forms. You start each school day as in a designated form room where the register is taken by your form tutor. Form rooms are also used for break break times if it's pouring down with rain where we stash our bags at lunch, etc. One day, I was the last person in the form room before lunch. On my way out, I crossed paths with Mr. Raphael, Raphael, uh, the geography teacher whose room was our designated form room. He spotted a fudge wrapper on the floor and decided to make an example out of me by making me stay behind at lunch and clean the whole room. What the fuck? Uh... I felt this was desperately unfair and being the dramatic teenager I was, I decided to avenge myself. Do you know what? I would have avenged as well. Mr. Raphael's room was the last remaining blackboard uh, in the school. So I stole a pack of chalk from his desk and over the course of about two weeks, (laughs) I hollowed out the ends of each chalk stick with the pointy bit of protractor stuck stuck a match head in each hole with um white tack and powdered over the end of each stick then i swapped my doctored pack of chalk for his normal one i wasn't in the room when he (laughs) when he struck the blackboard with my doctored matches but i was (laughs) i was i can't even get it out but I was part of the fire evacuation that was triggered (laughs) when he struck not one, but not two. (laughs) But three of the Dr. Chalks (laughs) set off the fire alarm. I'm not sure if this is rebellious or petty, maybe both. But it sure was cathartic. Oh my god. Oh, it's fucking hilarious as well. I actually have tears. Tears of laughter. Oh my god. It's definitely, definitely rebellious. <laughs> A little bit petty, but also <laughs> super petty. I would have done it too. <laughs> oh, that has made my day. AJ, you superstar. 
If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. No new patrons today, but a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. You guys make me feel like what I do is worthwhile, and I love hanging out with you, and all the chat that we have, and yeah, like the Rebel challenges are amazing. So thank you so, so much for your support. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting uh, patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black, and you can do that from as little as $2 a month. This episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, but rather than me tell you why I love them, I'm going to let Shane Miller tell you all about why he uses them and why he loves them. And Shane has a brand new podcast called the called The Right Better Fiction Podcast, which will have been live, I think, two days when this episode airs. So make sure you go check that out as well. And a link will be in the show notes, of course. I use ProWritingAid to clean up my manuscripts before they go to my editor. ProWritingAid's great because it's not just a grammar checker. It teaches you how to improve your writing. It has reports for all those tricky areas authors hate, like style, passive voice, blue words, my own arch nemesis, cliches, and more. I've got high competition in my top five Clifton strengths, so the scoring feature really pushes me to improve my writing, because, of course, I want to beat the system. For me, the best thing is the way it integrates with Scrivener. I make all my changes in ProWritingAid, and Scrivener updates automatically. So no more hopping between programs, which is perfect. I'd highly recommend using ProWritingAid. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm super excited because I have one of my fave humans on the show. <laughs> JJ Arias is an Amazon best-selling independent author writing about fictional lesbians of all varieties. She started out writing fan fiction until she decided to stop stringing together pieces of subtext and start writing her own main text stories about LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. JJ is a first-generation Cuban-American who was born and raised in Miami, Florida. She's an obnoxiously Scorpio woman married to a uniquely tolerant cancer lady. They live together in South Florida with two unhinged cats, a melancholy pit bull, and, a, and, and an aggressive parakeet. Hello and welcome back. Sasha, thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming back because last time, you know, you got to interview me and I was so desperate to interview you. And I'm really excited because I obviously have read one of your books, which was fucking amazing. <laughs> um, so tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey. Like, how did you get to where it is you are now? Yeah, so um, I've always liked creative writing, right? Like most of us. Um uh, when I went to college, my mom was like, you need to find something that makes money. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's not writing. This was obviously way before self-publishing. If not, she would have been all for that because she's very uh, entrepreneurial, my mother. Um, so naturally, I went to law school, right? Because that's the natural um, shift there. And But I always stayed kind of writing. And I started writing fan fiction because that was really fun. But I didn't think I'd kind of do anything with it. And then like 2018... I want to say I was like, you know, I can write one of these romances that I read on my Kindle. And and I did. So, yeah, pretty, pretty fun. Not expecting it to kind of do anything. And it's it's gone pretty well, I have to say. So <laughs> I'm glad I did, gave it a try. 
so you are still <clears throat> a practicing lawyer for all the we won't have to go into any detail but um do you do you ever want to write full-time or do you think you would always stick with law I I don't think I would ever want to write full-time unless I was maybe retired like much later in the future um I don't write anymore so I've kind of tested this out and taken like a week off and and just said like what would it be like to be a full-time writer I don't write any more words then I write when I come home from work or if I do it in the morning before work. And I find that so much inspiration comes from being like out in the world, right? And like people you see and interactions you observe and you're kind of like, huh, I wonder if those two people dated, what would that be like? So I I can't imagine uh, I would want to write full time unless it kind of coincided with retirement. Yeah. Okay. So everybody needs to drink, but uh, remind me, do you have, <laughs> I know you have consistency and that kind of not writing anymore is very cons- like consistency strength. Do you also have intellection? Yes. I think that's my number two, I want to say. Okay. 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 So that makes that, but I know Becca talks about who the types of writers or the types of strengths who are more likely to want that other thing to give the brain um, that space. So yeah, that's really interesting. I sort of wish that I had a thing that I wanted to do that wasn't writing because like the focus tunnel is an obsessiveness that I can have. I don't know how healthy it is, but um, yeah. Okay. So I recently read and like, let me tell you, devoured uh, Guava Flavoured Lies. So I wondered if you could start by telling everyone a little bit about the book. Yeah. Um, so it's an enemies to lovers, um, rivals to lovers kind of straddles that line, uh, between two, uh, bake owners of bakeries, these two kind of franchises in Miami. And I joke, these two people have hated each other since before they were born. Um, and each family kind of blames the other for stealing these pastry recipes a million years ago before the families migrated from Cuba to the United States. Um, and so we find them that's kind of their backstory and we find them stuck together on this outdoor food festival circuit that they have to do you know every year for several months and on this particular uh circuit they all these kind of secrets and tensions and all this stuff kind of comes to the head and then they realize they're not as different as they thought and a lot of things kind of that they hadn't realized about each other um and of course that the that the line between throttling the neck and straddling the hips <laughs> very fine so fine it's so confusing <laughs> i i think the thing that i loved so much about the book and, we, and i will ask you about this in a bit but was the banter like i don't or not even not banter sorry bickering I mm-hmm. don't think I have ever read bickering that good. <laughs> like it was fucking exceptional. Like, and I just couldn't get enough. And I, I just don't understand how you did it. So you have to just download your entire brain. Um, so let's, let, I mean, let's talk about that. I, I think I, in my questions, wrote banter, but I, hopefully you knew that I meant bickering. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, like, how the hell did you create that bickering? <laughs> And like, what advice do you have for other writers? I I have to say, they are my favorite characters I've ever written. And I missed them. And that's never really happened to me. You know, I kind of feel like I've told a complete story. And they're the only characters that I really kind of think back. And I'm like, I wonder what they'd be doing, you know? Because they're so 
it, it really everything is bickering right like you can't say good morning without it being a fight mm-hmm. so um I think the first thing the first kind of tip I can give and banter bickering I think it's like the same you know in the sense of how you you would write it I think turn up the volume on one of the characters and make them kind of outrageous and extra and a little bit over the top because I think that drove so much of the interactions because most people even if you don't like someone can kind of have you know a cordial interaction so one of the characters fully cannot right she's just herself all the time she's aggressive she's intense everything is the end of the world Um, (laughs) she's my favorite by the way (laughs) um and I'm not going to say she's not a little bit like me, but whatever. <laughs> um, so she is going to kind of instigate, right? Like a lot of, and because she's so outrageous in her responses, it brings up the volume on every interaction she has with almost anybody, but definitely with the love interest, right? Um, and then I think kind of, and this I think you could do with anybody, even if you have more subtle characters, give them a history so that even when they're bickering about something that just happened, like, you know, why did you, you took my parking spot, right? It's also about 20 years ago, we tried out for the same position on the softball team. And I don't think it's fair that you got it. And I'm still salty about that too. So (laughs) everything is charged with this like history. So literally everything can become an argument. Good morning. I think at some point in the book was like, (laughs) what, why, what are you doing? What do you want? You know, like everything is kind of seen because they've been horrible to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not only is this because I think also kind of their love language, but um, because it, everything is heavy with history and um, all these kind of, under, and you don't have to give a ton of backstory. I think to make that you, you kind of see how the character makes one thing about something else. Right. And you're just like, who would be that mad? But then you kind of to understand, you know, why everything is to the nth degree, because it's it's coming from a place of hurt, of a very, very old hurt. Um, so, but also make it, and then like, they're also both like kind of smart assy, you know, witty and always kind of have a funny turn of phrase. And so I think it kind of fuels that, right? Like they're just constant, they can't leave anything alone. Nothing is left alone. I, I love that so much. And I, now thinking back to the book, I definitely think that history, like, and everything always going back to, and the thing that I loved is it was like layered history as well, because it wasn't just the history between the two characters. It was then also the familial history and and being able to throw that conflict. So it was kind of like layers and layers of conflict. But what that history did, and, you know, it's not like we got 25 years of history and there there really was just like some key moments that they were Mm. able to like chuck at each other but it made it so real and so believable that they really would hate it like that I just couldn't I just couldn't stop listening to to the book (laughs) it was so good anyway okay so how do you ensure then that the conflict that you create is organic and not contrived because I think that's like one of the issues a lot of authors face it's not just creating conflict it's then making it feel like yeah not contrived um so I start with the conflict as the idea for like every story I write starts with what the conflict is and then build the characters that would find themselves in that conflict 
how do you come up with that where do you start coming up with conflict so um so to talk about God favorite lies um my wife literally says to me one day you should write a story about bakers falling in love um and I was like why I mean okay um and then I was like okay because you know you kind of like I think you can and I think you could literally do that with anything right booksellers is um that movie you've got mail and like you know whatever it is and then it's like okay well why would they not be able to get together on page one and then it's like okay um well they're competitors and it's like okay so then why wouldn't they just avoid each other um and then I think from there you start to to literally ask yourself those questions so like specifically with guava flavored lies it's like okay what kind of person would even have a rival or an enemy because usually in life you don't like someone you avoid them you don't keep competing with them you're just like okay and these are cuban bakeries in miami there are literally a million there's no real everyone has their favorite there's no real competition um and then it's like okay so what who who would even have a rival they're competitive probably right because if you're a passive person you're just like okay I don't know what her deal is I just don't talk to her um and then why can't they just avoid each other so what is keeping them interacting again and again and um and why can't the conflict be resolved in a single conversation and that's not to say your conflict can't be resolved in a conversation it can't be resolved without any significant fallout so even if you have just one big source of conflict like one big secret if you tell it yeah that's going to take a minute but the consequences are so big that you're like well I'm not sure if I can and then you have so it's like I think you start you know kind of building that way and then you give them I think personalities that kind of clash so the two characters in Guava Flavored Lies have very similar socioeconomic backgrounds. They both have the same goal, which is advancing this legacy of, you know, these businesses that their great grandparents started and they kind of have all this pressure on them to move forward. So they're both gonna be driven go-getters, right? But they approach it differently. So one is like very traditional. So it makes her dogged. She's um, single-minded. She is like unbending. And the other one, is wants to do the same thing but she wants to do things her own way so she's more open-minded she's a little more flexible so that's kind of not only going to create conflict but you've also then given them the tool to turn the conflict because you need one of them to be able to see past the bullshit they've dealt with all these years and kind of start to turn it so I, I think it's kind of like all of those things um and then you end up with something that feels very real and I think, and we may get into a little bit more later, but layering the conflict is also kind of critical. And that's kind of uh, said the mistakes people make in not doing that. Um, but, you know, kind of, it starts to feel real because you haven't imposed the conflict on these people. You've found the exact people that would react this way to the conflict. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm already like, I'm going to come back and write notes on everything that you're saying, because this <laughs> is like, this is pure gold. Um, and also funny, and no, I'll tell you that afterwards. Um, so the other thing that I was going to ask is like, this is a lot of thinking and like thought that goes into this. So what is your process? Like your, how do you personally get to this point where you know all of this stuff about the characters? It very much happens in my head. I think um, Becca calls, um, I think I've mentioned to you before, and I always mess up the name, not bread, bread maker, bread machine, writer. Bread machine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so where you kind of have to build it in your head and then it just all kind of comes out. So it seems like it comes out fully formed, but really I kind of have to like marinate, percolate, like kind of let it. So usually when I'm writing, whatever I'm writing now, I'm percolating the next story. Yeah. So I start with like the thread of whatever. And like I said, my wife gives me 95% of my ideas. Like she gives me that thread. Is she right? high ideation? She won't do the oh. thing to take. I know. What? I know. <laughs> but she's super like creative, you know, and then we kind of will talk about it and, and develop the idea and then uh, off I go. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness me. So she has like a personal author to just write the stories that she wants. <laughs> and she's good she's she was writing a YA but she gave it up because it's hard to land the plane so she wrote like 75% of the book and was like god I can't end it I know no. and I'm such a finishing energy person that's what we we do balance each other well she is all starting energy right I hate starting things but I can't not finish things oh. so yeah so she writes really funny dialogue too she's better than me but Oh my I goodness, I can't believe, yeah, that's so sad. Oh no, <clears throat> like you'll have to encourage her. She's got to finish it. She can't, she can't not finish. And, and it's so good. When I tell you it's good, it's really good. Oh, you're just teasing me now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, what are some of the common mistakes you see authors making when it comes to creating conflict, like in their romance novels? Um. So I think the prime problem, and I think we all know this, but sometimes it's hard to see it in our own work, is that the conflict is too thin or too easily resolvable. Um, so I really do think about it. If these characters got stuck in an elevator for 10 uninterrupted minutes. I would love to read that. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, they'd murder each other. Yeah. Um, especially at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, but, and that's the point, right? 10 minutes is going to make it worse, right? Mm -hmm. Like them being alone only makes it worse. If they really, so especially if you write adults, right? YA I think is different. You can get away with, because like teenagers argue over different things and have different conflicts, but I'm just talking like adult adult fiction. If 10 interrupted minutes could resolve the conflict or put them well on their way to resolving the conflict, there's not enough. So it's okay to use that conflict if you want to use it as a source, but that's where then layer in additional conflict. So like you were saying, yeah, okay, not only are we business rivals, but also we went to high school together and we're little shits to each other and like super competitive. And then also our families hate each other. So like, let's say we resolve that. How even would we get together? Like our families won't accept it. <clears throat> so it, it's not just, if you have this one and you don't want to let it go and you're like, yes, if they talked about it, the secret, okay, well then give it stakes. So, okay, all they have to do is clear up this misunderstanding but if they do, their pride is on the line in a very real way, or there's financial repercussions, or there is um, hurting someone, right? Like they'd have to reveal something terrible they've done in order to kind of explain and move on from the conflict. Um, so I think when you don't have conflict, that's kind of robust enough, or there's not enough of, of it, you end up doing things like breaking them apart for no good reason. Mm -hmm. I almost never break up my couples at the midpoint um, because the mid my midpoint is about resolving like how to then come together, right? So, and that's not to say sometimes they need to break up depending on what the situation is. Um, but 
I think that's when you find you've written a character kind of exaggerating, having an exaggerated response to like a simple fight or a simple disagreement because you need to in, you need to imbue the tension with something, right? The conflict with something, or you bring in a third character who's extremely opposed to these people's relationship. In life, you'd be like, okay, then get out of my life. Or there has to be some very good reason why. Like maybe it's a, a culture clash and the parent doesn't want to accept this person from a different culture. To, and like, oh, okay, that is a third party and maybe that's not so easy. Or maybe it is to say, okay, well, if you don't accept my relationship, I don't accept you. But usually for parents, that's hard, right? Whatever. So I think it's really stress testing, stress testing. Yeah, I said that word. Um, your conflict to make sure it's really holds up to to some scrutiny. And it's hard for us to see it ourselves. I think sometimes we think we've written enough and then you realize like, okay, so this would be a 40,000 page short story or novella or whatever, really, if they resolved it. So it's, so add more, right? Like that's always the easy solution. So you have 10 thin conflicts, but you have to kind of resolve each one before um, you can end the story, right? Have you ever thought about uh, writing nonfiction? I have. <laughs> you should. This needs to be a book because I Only just want to. Because of you, because oh, really? of preparing for this, <laughs> and uh, I started thinking like, does everyone do it this way? No, I don't know. no. Loads of people struggle with conflict. Like it's a big, it's a big issue for a lot, a lot, a lot of writers. Like especially for people who are conflict avoidant, right? Mm. Like a lot of creators are quite calm um neutral people um you know and you can tell that by looking at strengths and the fact that people like us who have high competition are quite rare you know in writers it's not a strength that you often that it's like not one of the top strengths but um because somebody who's highly competitive obviously loves a bit of conflict right yeah <laughs> it's the best I mean, part like, yeah um and uh uh yeah so I think this I think you should turn this into a non-fiction book I want it will you write it just for me 100 <laughs> percent. yeah okay <laughs> but I have thought about it that's why I want you to do a course on writing non-fiction I think Joanna Penn's done one I think I'm sure she's done a course on how oh, to write she? non-fiction I think so I love I've got a Penn. book by her I'm sure we'll talk about it afterwards um, okay, okay. I'm not gonna let this go now though by the way just so that you know <laughs> I'm going to be like DMing you. Where's the book? Where's the book? <laughs> well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts all the time. So. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. So kind of leading on from this. Um, no, sorry. I'm not leading on from anything. I, I, what I want to know is like, how do you balance creating conflict with maintaining the romantic tension between the characters? Yeah. So, and I think maybe because we are both, I'm not as high co competition as you are, but it's in my top 10. Um, take a drink. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> conflict is my favorite part, right? And maybe you can tell. Um, so I use I use the conflict to fuel the romantic tension. So enemies to lovers is the easiest example of that. But I think this you can use this for anything. Um, these particular people who love each other but don't know it because that's what every enemies to lovers is or rivals to lovers or whatever they get fuel from these bickering bantering pushing each other's buttons interactions they might not admit it right oh my god oh my god right? sorry just like total mind epiphany about my entire like 
formative years and the fact that like I loved the chase because it was all banter and all yeah. like <laughs> all yeah. conflict and all like push pull oh my god oh my god I'm right, so because that's the fun it is yeah. it is totally fun. um and then even if you have a different another kind of romance that's not enemies to lovers there's always something forbidden about even contemporary romance if not they'd get together on page one and live happily ever after so it's your best friend's brother it's your boss and so you have to it's this I want you but I can't for some reason whatever it is I'm married I'm um I don't know a, took a vow of celibacy as a religious person I don't know right whatever literally anything um I think that's Fleabag right that she like I don't know if you ever watched that I, I did but ages ago I yeah, can't anyway, yeah. um so there's there's something that you want that you can't have. So even if it's not the tension of, of bickering, it's the tension of restraint. So it fuels that conflict of why I can't get with you on page one, fuels how how that romantic tension builds. So you fall in love with your boss or your boss falls in love with you, but you have all of these complicated power dynamics that you can't just give in because you know, it's, it's always going to be an unequal relationship. So someone has to give up their job or, you know, or even you can't tell whether do they like you back or not. So it, it, the tension is created by the conflict. That's why I always stop reading once characters get together. And I used to write my books like that. And people would be like, it just ended. What happened? <laughs> I want to see how they live together. And you're, Why? You already know who did it. Like... <laughs> What else are you going to see? So now I add like five chapters, you know, at the end to kind of, and then I leave a conflict open, right? So I've left something to resolve. It's not just them getting together. And it's like, okay, now we're together. We've resolved all our shit. How are we going to get our families on board? How are we going to, now one of us has to quit our job. And what is that really going to look like? So you leave, leave a conflict open, right? Because otherwise to me, it was just like a five chapter epilogue. I'm like, I don't care. You know, so, but people care, right? You write books for readers, not for yourself. <laughs> I find this so interesting because that's such a, like, you know, it's a very clear romance structure, but with a bit extra that I never really thought about. And you are literally doing it via the conflict. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, my head is like, womp, 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 trying to like process everything <laughs> you're saying. Like, and like how I can incorporate that. I think that's fucking genius because I, I end like hearts and heists ended pretty quickly after the climax of the story I think there was like one or I think there were two chapters afterwards and even that was like you know because definitely like you've reached the finish line yes correct you've that's won. how I read too I don't <laughs> care what else happens not I don't care but it's done we've won it's done yeah it's done the big thing I've been reading for because I think anticipation is the most exciting part of especially for romance but anything a thriller a mystery is the anticipation of what's going to happen and in in a in a romance the central question is not if these two characters are going to get together because of course we know they will otherwise it's not a romance but how right it's the how how will they overcome all this stuff and so it's like once you've answered that question for me personally as as a reader I'm satisfied yeah and maybe if I really like the characters I'll maybe want to keep it but I if I put the book down I won't pick it up again so it's like if I finish it right then fine but I probably won't pick it up again if I put it down 
This is so interesting because I think this is one of the things that I have learned about myself and how I like to read and therefore how I like to write. Because for me, the sex, and this is, actually, I'm not going to say that, but anyway, the sex is separate to the emotion. Like, and I know for some people that's not the case, sex and emotion or, or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, for me, the anticipation because you are right that is exactly what I read for but it's the emotional anticipation that's the bit that I just cannot get enough of but I want the sex now yeah (laughs) give me the sex that works so well for enemies to lovers right yeah you can have there's not that many setups where although sometimes like when you read um um uh like um you know someone's hired someone to like a what do you call it fake dating dating yeah right so even then you might have the physicality of a relationship depending on what you've hired this person for, right? But it is the emotion that you're waiting for. So I think there are certain, absolutely, and people love that, right? That's yeah. absolutely a very valid, because you're still holding out for some big payoff. Yeah. So it's just the inverse of other, you know, more um, sort of straightforward romances where you're holding it, the emotion is growing and then you're holding out for the physicality. Yeah, it's why I think I would struggle to write a slow burn because I I just, like, I love the torture of reading slow burn, but I find it impossible to write because I'm just like, none of my characters do as I say and they all just bang, like, on page <laughs> one, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know what that says about me, but I can move <laughs> on swiftly. <laughs> Well, you can make that happen too. Um, in I think it was uh, crossing the line. Um, I had the characters have a one night stand, and this is like a a very old trope, right? Have they have a one night stand, and then you've discovered who that person is, and you're like, oh, well, you are not someone I'm allowed to have sex with. Not like illegal wise, you guys, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace and our relationship is such that oh you're my boss my new boss I hadn't yeah. met right like people love that yeah. so now you have both you have the excitement of seeing these people's chemistry is outrageous and now they have to wait for 70 percent of the book I know yeah. torture oh I do you know I'd forgotten how much I love that trope that I might have to play with that too. one yeah, I might have to play with that because um, uh, that is what hooked me into Grey's Anatomy because Meredith exactly. Grey sleeps with McDreamy or whatever his name was and then like, and then discovers he's her boss and then like yeah. they don't sleep together for like several episodes and I was exactly. just like at the TV like, give it to me! Exactly. But it'll scratch the itch, right? You've yes. gotten them together but then also you're like, now you're in slow burn but not slow burn. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I try not to write slow burns but they happen to me anyway. <laughs> No, but like they are exquisite. It's just like, and like the masochist in me is like, yeah, I want to, I want to read a slow burn. Like one of my, one of my, my beta readers, she writes slow burn and, and well, and some of hers are slow burn and oh my God, they're amazing. Like it is torture, but like in the best possible way. And then like, it makes it so fucking sweet when you get it at the end. I just love it. I love it. Um, Okay. Leading on from that, then, how do you transition the characters from arguing to romancing? Like, are there any craft tools or techniques you use so that it's not whiplash and it's that kind of like gradual change? It is the hardest part. I'm not going to lie. That takes me writing that turn takes me the absolute longest thing. It's the longest thing to write. And sometimes um, 
I reworked that bit of the outline for a while before I actually start writing um, because sometimes I'm like, oh no, this is insurmountable. <laughs> I've made this conflict just too big. Like I have one where it's an undercover uh, cop sort of, but not really like an undercover agent and she's investigating um, a criminal. And it's like, I can't, I don't know, I can't do it, you know? So it's like, that takes a long time to kind of, you know, break that, uh, break that down. Um, and in Enemies to Lovers, it can be exactly what you're saying, either whiplash or it makes the enemies part feel thin. Yeah. Where you're like, they weren't really enemies, you know? Um, so there's a few ways to kind of start that turn, which is, I think, and mostly it's it's sort of centered around um people seeing themselves seeing each other in a different light um so um some tactics that i've used or i've seen i think work are like rivals coming to each other's aid um so it's kind of like like sibling rivalry where you can kind of be a jerk to your sibling but nobody else can so you know, you've kind of like, hey, don't talk to this person this way or like, you know, whatever. It's like, I'm the one who gets to be an asshole, not you, right? Um, a common enemy or a common cause um, kind of will make people have to work together. And, and again, in a very natural way, in a very kind of believable way. Um, one of my favorites is begrudgingly helping each other. So if you're like driving and you see that, you know, they've got four flat tires, a hurricane's coming, um, you know, and you're like, oh, I mean, I guess I can't leave them stranded on the side of the road to die. <laughs> so, you know, and then now you're forced together in the car. I love for forced proximity. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and I think for enemies to lovers, especially it works super well, but for anything, um, I think it works really well. Um, and it, again, it's all about bringing them together in like a new and unexpected interaction that changes the tone, can start that change of tone. Um, having the character see the the love interest do something they think is out of character but it's actually a nuance of their personality they refuse to see so you know you think this guy is like a super self-important jerk who only cares about himself but then you see him you know volunteering at a soup kitchen on his days off and he doesn't know anybody's seeing him right like um and that starts again to question my strong belief that I hate this person and they're literally the worst right? Where it's like, well, maybe I have something, I've gotten something wrong. Um, discovering they have something major in common, a common trauma, if your story is maybe serious, an unusual interest. So, and all these things you can make as funny for a rom-com or as serious for a, a more darker tone as, as you want, like they're very flexible. Um, and then for age gaps specifically, um, and anything that's like a forbidden relationship, so like boss or, you know, a, a someone that's really kind of like taboo or out of reach uh to to the person and that's the conflict those are the only times where I do separate them I break them not necessarily break up but where I need time for them to kind of refocus and reframe who they are to each other so um in the one I had judge and intern right and that's someone that started like Grey's Anatomy so it's you know you have a lot of things you have an age gap you have the boss relationship you have she's a judge so that's something that's suit so, you know you have to be so careful and they're both very ethical well the young one is unethical the judge is very ethical so she's constantly fighting you know with herself and it's like they have to break apart 
because the the younger person also has to come back into the relationship on equal ground so they have to have um their own sort of ability to support themselves their own whatever it is you know so that they're coming back together equals and then able to to move on from the conflict um so it's like if you read your favorite romances you start to kind of spot these things because it's really just reframing all you're doing is reframing your assumptions or you know um your your exaggerated idea of who the other person is because like when you can't stand something ev someone everything they do bothers you right like I hate the way you breathe why oh my god look at her look at her with like that face it's like it's just her face girl you just don't like her you know I'm so not, I'm not gonna lie I'm hearing some Sylvie here that's, that's all I'm saying <laughs> I don't know what you mean yeah. um, <laughs> but if you can right see them in a different light you can start to turn that and then you I think you need one character willing to do that that little bit of work to say hey come on you know like you're being crazy yeah and what I love about that is that when when somebody is an enemy or or a rival or even just like the love interest but they are there is that level of conflict your attention is focused on them and therefore you notice everything one mm. because most of it annoys you but two because you either don't want them to beat you you don't want them to better you or because they're just all up in your face and you have this conflict but because they notice everything they notice everything exactly which and so it makes it far more believable i think that they then do start to notice the good and the bad and right. i like i love that when they notice details like i'm just like oh you Oh, then, like, exactly. they like they like notice the thing that nobody else notices and I'm just like oh swoon yeah. I don't know where this is going <laughs> and especially because oh. they don't know why they're noticing it right and it's yeah. like you watch that struggle within themselves of like ugh, you know yeah. even it's like a physical attraction that you notice or like whatever it is um and it's just super fun completely agree I love it so much how do you handle like pacing of conflict uh, in order to keep readers engaged, but also like to avoid overwhelming them? Because I think there is a bit of pacing to a romance structure anyway. But what about the conflict? The most, so I think the the most conflict there ever be is going to be in like the first act. And that's going to be, and it'll hit like a crescendo at the end of that act where it's like full on resistance to them having to then whatever the thing is that you're you're making them have to then interact with each other for the rest of the book so um but and I guess I'm trying to think of other scenarios where it would be enemies to lovers but I'll, I'll think of that one sort of as the easy example so the whole first act is them it's the max right like there's very little you see attraction and you see heat but you don't necessarily see love right or like in like um appreciation for that person right it's all full all my preconceived notions of you at their max then as you work towards the middle um that lessens because you're starting to kind of poke holes in that uh in that first act tension um with those kind of situations of seeing them in a different light or being you know forced together seeing that they're not what you thought or you start resolving some of the easy conflict right the, an easy misunderstanding that's only one of five points of conflict they have 
um, and you start to, to pull them out. Because at the midpoint, there has to be enough, there still has to be conflict, obviously, because you want people to keep reading, but there has to be enough resolution of the conflict that they can make the turn. And then the back half of the book is resolving all the other conflict, whether it be between them, whether it be external, um, whatever they have left, but now they're working on it together. So it's it's an intensity at the beginning, I think the most intense, and then it it starts to, the pace starts to, to lessen throughout, that makes sense. It does. And if you don't write, <clears throat> this nonfiction book is an absolute travesty. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like two more questions before yeah. the ultimate question. How do you then approach resolving this conflict? So we've sort of talked about where you do it and when you do it, but how do you actually re- resolve the conflict, the conflicts in, in romance novels? Um, so I pin the resolution of the conflict to the theme. Um, so if Guava Flavored Lies was about not letting old grudges keep you from living life fully and authentically, uh, then letting go of the grudge is going to be the key to resolving the conflict. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think we do these things automatically, but we don't realize we're doing them um, when we're writing, when we're reading, that's what we're looking for. Cause we've already seeded the answer to the resolution of the conflict for the reader at the beginning. The reader knows what these two people have to do. It's will they, will they have the tools to do it before the end of the book? Um, and I also think about, I can't remember where I read this, um, but it was uh, something like, a, I always think of a novel of a story of two halves. So the first half is the character, the, the I always have kind of a protagonist, like one character is a little bit more the main character than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know some people don't write romances that way and they make them equal. I always have one that just naturally is, the story's a little bit more about their growth because um, the other one's a little bit more balanced because otherwise I think people can't really get together, but. Um, so the first half of the book is them doing things in their comfort zone, all wrong, right? Coming from the place of their emotional wound, the lie they believe about the world, whatever kind of terminology people have for that. And we see they're never going to succeed that way. And then at the turn, the back half is all about doing things in a way that hurts, that's uncomfortable, but that risk and that discomfort leads to growth, right? So I, I think that's that's the resolution of the conflict. Like you let them live in that conflict and do it however they want and then turn it and be like, no, you have to kind of reject the reasons for the conflict. Okay. The last yeah. thing that I wanted to ask you about was family. Now, guava flavored lies have had some of the most real and like all up in each other's business type <laughs> family that I have ever read I fucking loved the dynamics of like the families like the families internally but also the families like when they would like spat together Mm -hmm. so I wondered if you could talk about like how the hell did you make the families seem so real and like just the side characters in general yeah I mean I Guava Flavored Lies is a little bit unique in that I don't usually have family features so heavily in the romance, but because this is like a generational feud between these people, the first scene I ever thought of was like that West Side Story type 
you know, confrontation where like the families literally meet on the street, right? And it's like this ultimate clash. Is that the treehouse? Um, the treehouse. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes. It was yeah. fucking incredible. That was kind of the first scene. Usually I plot chronologically, but that's the first scene that like, you know, my wife and I kind of brainstormed talking about it. And it's like, oh, what if this? And you kind of just up the stakes, right? Um, because these are all, I don't know any of these people, right? But these are all like arch archetypes of real people you would find in Miami, in the Cuban American community, specifically of this socioeconomic background, this um, first generation uh, immigrant, you know, but the parents came so young that they're essentially in that hybrid place. And, you know, every Cuban family has the boy or young man who is literally treated like he can't fend for himself um, and gets everything. And then the other child, sometimes not a girl, but most, you know, usually a girl who is just expected, you just do everything. And so that's like a very, and maybe it's not just this culture, right? Every culture has, you know, kind of things like that. So I gave everyone, whether you saw it on the page or not, a, a goal, uh, a lie they believe about the world. And I give everybody Zodiac uh, horoscope signs. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because it's like such an mm -hmm. easy, for me, because I, I love uh, horoscopes and stuff, it's such an easy little shorthand of how I think they'd all react differently to the same situation. Because otherwise you get everyone reacting kind of how you need them in the scene versus a, a, this person would say this, this other person would say that. Um, and you don't have to do a lot. They don't have a lot of speaking lines. Um like the some of the parents do, but like for the most part, it's just a, a, a flavor in the background. It's just this other source of conflict and tension. Like, what are the moms gonna say, you know, in the when they see each other? And it's always a little bit of anxiety because nobody there keeps their mouth shut, right? Which is also fun. Um, because that leads to a lot of conflict because they can't go anywhere, they can't have nice things, these people. They're all always ruining it. So yeah, so I think see them and don't feel tempted to put on the page necessarily their goal what what their philosophy is if you know it you're gonna write dialogue that conveys mm. it mm. yeah I completely agree oh I love that I really hope that people go and read this book because it is a fucking masterpiece and I genuinely think it is my favorite contemporary romance that I've ever read so um, I really, no, like, I, I just wish you all the, the success with all of the novels. I know it's not the latest one that you released, but like. What's my just... favorite though? I can't help it. You know, you're not supposed to like love one kid more than the other, but like, I don't know. I think it's the best thing. I don't think I'll ever write anything this good. I say it all the time. I'm like, well, that's it. I peaked. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a fucking masterpiece. So yeah, everyone listening needs to go and read it. Um, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. All right. So, you know, this question gives me agita because I am a rule <laughs> follower. <laughs> I was going to tell you about the time that I may or may not have gotten my tongue pierced before I was of age to do it and then had to hide it. <laughs> um, but I think instead I'm going to, a real rebellion, I think. I refuse to write shitty first drafts. I cannot do it. I will not do it. And <laughs> I edit as I go 100% of the time. But Rachel Heron, 
has said that's okay as long as you're uh finishing books so um but I feel very alone in my rebellion Sasha I don't think anybody else does this I think there are a small percentage of people who can do it and those people who can do it like they are incredible do you have high communication no I don't think so okay because I've noticed a trend with people with high communication that often don't do either they don't edit or they don't do very big edits but yeah um obviously it's not it's not um that's not black and white for everybody who has high communication before I get shouted at <laughs> it's just the thing that I've noticed how very dare you yeah I know um I think it's incredible like I I actually would love to be able to edit as I go because I fucking hate editing mm-hmm. and so editing as I go would make my life so much better because I would not have to then do the thing that I don't actually enjoy. Uh, but I can't, I just can't do it. So I don't even bother trying now. I just write my shitty first draft because I know I can get it out. Um, and and then I just, you know, persevere through the edits. But you are my hero. I love your work. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Would thank you, you like so to much t- for having me. You are most welcome. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and your nonfiction book that's going to come and anything else that you'd like to add? <laughs> <laughs> well, if we co-write it, what if I give you my notes? Oh, you, then, you, that's you naughty. You know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to like lure you into doing anything. I- I'm gonna I'll find a way I'm gonna Sylvie the situation I'm just gonna like just keep hammering no. Lauren <laughs> exactly <laughs> did my wife and I do that to each other I'm like oh, okay Lauren yes uh, <laughs> I, I do want to say really quickly thank you so much for I know you hate compliments and you hate being put on the spot but thank you for everything that you do. I've learned so much from you from this podcast from your books and you do so much just to just to help us right and for nothing in return so this is my absolute favorite podcast it's the first thing I listen to as soon as it's up um and I know I'm not alone and feeling very grateful uh for your efforts your creativity bringing in so many different um guests to talk about so many different things and I've learned so much from you um thank you so thank you and you have to accept it um (laughs) you're a bad girl you did catch me unaware Uh, so my website is jjarias.com uh, I'm on most socials at the jjarias um, and I only ever really go on Instagram but I don't go, I'm honestly like not great at social media so um, but I'll respond if you shoot me a message on Instagram I'll respond eventually yeah and I think we've got all of those for the show notes as well Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to JJ Arias and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Katia from Miblart and we are going to be all talking all about how to use your book cover as a marketing tool. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.